Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. High Fidelity from the year 2000, directed by Stephen Frears, starring John Cusack and based on the novel by Nick Hornby, tells the story of Rob Gordon a 30-something record store owner and living embodiment of a certain type of insufferable pop culture-obsessed dude, he said while hosting a podcast about skateboard movies, as he navigates love, ex-love, and maybe, just maybe, figuring out that what someone is like maybe is more important than what they do like. That was beautiful, Kevin. (laughs) That was a really... I I, I, I don't even know where to go from there. That was a perfect synopsis. See you later, everyone. <laughs> good, yes. good night. Skateboarding. <laughs> I don't. I mean, this is a. This is a. I thought this would be an interesting one to tackle, just me and you, because I feel like there's a lot in this movie that you and I, even outside of the skateboarding stuff, can maybe relate to. Certainly, I know that for me. Like, I first encountered High Fidelity by reading the book. Ah, okay. When it came out in, like, uh, the mid-90s. There was, like, a review of it in the Providence Phoenix. And I got the book. I said, this sounds like a book for me. And I got the book. And it was a cautionary fucking tale, man. (laughs) There are not a lot of books that I can genuinely say, I think, um, helped me in my life. And I think that one, like, legitimately did. Because... I was reading that book and I was like, this could very, I could very easily wind up as the, I was in my early twenties when I read the book and I was like, I could very easily wind up as this dude. There's a lot of similarities going on in terms of like, not just the like obsession about records and music and who played on what record and ranking the best episodes of cheers. um, But also kind of this blinkered, fucking view i had of relationships and the movie i think is a in some ways fairly faithful adaptation of the spirit of the book despite the fact that they transpose it from london to chicago and um because you know the movie came out in 2000 rather than when the book came out a lot of the music references are about you know seven or eight years later on than what the Rob Gordon in the book, like the Rob Gordon in the book is really, really into like soul music and seventies punk and the clash and, and things of that elk. And not that the John Cusack character isn't, but there's a little bit more kind of, uh, you know, references to say massive attack. One thing I found very interesting was, and, and this is, this is so fucking dumb. High fidelity bullshit talk anyway, in the, but you know, the conversation where Rob says, what would you say if I said I hadn't seen Evil Dead 2 yet? Yes. Um, that is a verbatim conversation from the book, only they're talking about Reservoir Dogs. Ah. And I am wondering if they don't use Reservoir Dogs in the movie because um, Tarantino is really known for kind of like bringing that kind of 
very wordy diatribes about pop culture into movies and they thought it would be like it would seem too self-referential all right well i mean it, i i i almost kind of agree that it would be it would yeah it would be like them trying to do a tarantino about a tarantino movie in a in a movie which is a couple of too many layers of uh of archness i guess so they're like what can we slot in there and it's like well evil dead too which is fine <laughs> right well and i totally buy those people having that conversation about evil dead so yeah you know it's funny i i agree i i remember sitting down i'd never read the i've never read the book i remember sitting down to watch the movie and at that time and whatever i made my mid-20s i remember thinking that the rob character is the guy that you're supposed to sort of identify with the most and kind of the guy you want to be like the most but then as the movie moved forward i was like oh he's kind of a complicated self-involved prick and i have plenty of potential to be kind of a complicated self-involved prick as well and maybe that's not the guy i necessarily want to be yeah so maybe it's there and um i think this movie came out when we were living together in yes. in providence and uh a few episodes back we had preston on to talk about scott pilgrim and preston mentioned that when that movie came out most people he knew were kind of like nelson munsing him and going ha ha you're just like scott pilgrim and when fucking high fidelity came out people were coming out of the goddamn woodwork to come out and like have you seen high fidelity kevin right <laughs> yes yeah yeah well i mean let's face it those are certainly some archetypes and they're certainly you know i i feel like those guys are certainly guys we sort of aspired to be like for for us at least a a, a short <laughs> time frame you know like the the know-it-all record store guys well especially when uh, i think when rob's girlfriend laura tells him that he's like you know you the professional appreciator i think yes. there's definitely a version of professional appreciation to i think a lot of what you and I both do, like the, yes. this po this podcast among them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the resident. Well, the thing about that is, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because, it, you know, yeah, I remember finishing the movie and being like, yeah, there's a lot I want to take away from this, and it's it's the and it's the thing is is that when I think what I uh, at the end of the day, I think what I liked about Rob's character. Is that, you know, I spend a lot, or at least in my 20s, I spent a lot of time sort of wringing my hands and wanting to be the good guy. Uh, and and in, in many cases, probably was not the good guy. And to have a, a main character that was like so clearly, you know, I mean, you can empathize with him, but he's also a fucking prick. And he's a, he's, he's a complicated guy and isn't the nicest guy but it's still watching the movie made me realize that like you can, you, you know, you can be pissed off and have your feelings hurt and, you know, but maybe the part of it where you walk around and want everyone else to sympathize with you, despite your own 
<laughs> your own shortcomings was is the part where I was like, oh, that's not a good look. I remember a few a couple of years later, I went through this very, very brutal breakup where I, you know, I was I was so incensed with the injustice of it all. And I wanted the, the, the person who broke up with me to have all of her friends take my side. And then I realized, like, well, no, they're not going to do that. Like, it's a complicated situation. Things are, are not so cut and dry here. <laughs> and that maybe people are complicated yes and and maybe you were not the greatest boyfriend either i don't you know like at least i yeah it's very easy to like cast yourself as the main character of the story in your head yes maybe maybe edit out the shitty things you did as as a boyfriend i also think especially when you're younger um and you have like a, a pretty intense breakup there and i noticed this with a lot of people you get to the point where you're like well i can't not feel strongly about this person but i can channel what that strong feeling is so i'm going to channel it into anger or i'm going yes. to channel it into um like this person did me wrong and which is i think a coping mechanism so i like i i'm not devoid of sympathy for that but i also think that's something like people need to get past well, right. I think exactly. I think there's a a short timeline. Well, and that's I think that's what I learned from that brutal breakup was that there was a, there was a short timeline where people would be like, "Yeah, man, it's super fucked up." But then after a little while, everyone's like, "All right, dude, we 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 need to move on now. You were wronged, but let's go walk and get cokes anyway, and you know, and and, and move on to the to the next thing, you know." And I think, uh, you know, I. I I think we would both fall under the category of uh, occasionally being navel gazers. And (laughs) so the whole thing about like, you know, building this narrative of like your past relationships and how, like how that fed into your life. Like I, I related to that more than I would have liked to at the time. Like I, it's not something I was proud of, but it was definitely there. Well, I think that the desire to want some answers makes a lot of sense right like you and you know you think you're doing it in this sort of like quest to know yourself better but i also think maybe you're just looking to have somebody sit you down and be like no you were great <laughs> and i was like well you're not you're probably not gonna get that <laughs> you know closure i, I closure. think one thing that's in the book that's not in the movie is uh like when when cusack's kind of talking to the camera and saying like the horrible things he did in the relationship in the book. That's he ends that little diatribe with now, why don't you write down the five worst things you've ever done and see who's the asshole now? Yeah. Well, and I, I remember thinking that that, that exact passage in the movie was kind of almost the most empathetic moment you have with Rob where he like, he does break it down. He's like, yeah, I did these things. These are things that I did. And they're not great. It really is interesting that like you, it, it ex- especially exactly at that age where you still everything. I feel like many years later when I was working at a tattoo shop and we had a younger kid who essentially did my job when I first worked at a tattoo shop, which was like the front desk guy. And he was in his early 20s. And I remember from a few years later, I realized that the 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 issue with being that age or being that a a certain disposition of person is that you see everything through this prism of you. And then, 
and that that's how you end up gnashing your teeth at you know at all the the injustice of it all but then a couple of years later you realize you your you centric view of the world is is like you said you're the you're the main character in your own story but you're not the main character in everybody else's story and the sooner you can get over that i i i remember thinking you know i i remember it in my later maybe my early 30s i heard a a kid going off on on the whole that idea of the nice guys finish last and only girls only want the the asshole diatribe and i remember thinking all those years later well are you sure you're a nice guy (laughs) you know what i mean like you you're so you 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 you, you're you seem pretty positive that you're the nice guy in this situation but has anybody ever pointed out to you that you might be just a fucking asshole just like the rest of us and that why i feel like once you get to that point in your in your human development things can ease up a little bit you know and i think that's something that's been called out in uh, especially like in the last 10 years the the like the nice guy syndrome where people think like well if, if i abide by these rules then i deserve yes the idea of what you deserve is again same thing brutal breakup walking around like you know thinking i could fix it if i just you know you know it's it's hypocrisy it's no you just broke up with somebody man it's it happens it happens to the best of us but but you know it certainly is tempting to be the the sourpuss who just wants you know who just wants to howl at the moon at the injustice of it all but eventually you got to move on which is again why i thought it was i related so i i i thought one of the most human moments that rob has is that as he's grinding his teeth over the idea of his girlfriend having sex with somebody else and freaking out being jealous he he himself just goes out and does the exact same thing because you're a human being and even though you think, well, how could she be doing this? Well, I have my own needs as well. And the, the beauty of the hypocrisy of that is like, oh, okay. A clear picture is emerging about what it... Yeah, I, I, I do think this movie is, is very clear-eyed about the ways, especially, especially around then, like the ways a certain type of dude was, was yes. like in both good ways and bad ways. And I think... Like the casting of Cusack in that, I think, was a masterstroke. Oh, yeah. Perfect. I felt like this was like the second act of his career. I feel like in the first act of his career, he was doing those Savage Steve Holland movies like uh, Better Off Dead and One Crazy Summer. And like it kind of peaked with Say Anything as this kind of uh, ideal young rom-com dude. Like who, did, who didn't want to be fucking Lloyd Dobler? Right, right. <laughs> He was like the hapless nice guy who kind of couldn't catch a break. Yeah, he was that in the Steve Holland movies. Then in Lloyd Dobler, yeah. he was like very self-assured, but he was his own dude. He was like, Oh yeah, yeah. You love you love Lloyd Dobler. You that's the guy you want to be. But then I felt like after Lloyd Dobler, he didn't have a lot of places to go. And it's it seemed but it seemed like he and he didn't go away because he was still in movies, but he was in things like Con Air. Yeah. Which are really not what you want out of John Cusack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I feel like Gross Point Blank came out and it was sort of like, a, at least among people I knew, a collective of, yes, this is what we want John Cusack doing. And I think this movie like came quick on the heels after Gross Point Blank. And I felt like this was like like a, a kind of second Cusack-assance. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And and you're right. He he's now he's playing more complicated characters in a lot of ways. You know that you know in Gross Point Blank, he's a he's a genuinely decent guy who also happens to kill people for a living. Yes, in High Fidelity, he's like the the recognizable, lovable schlub, but also kind of a dark motherfucker when it comes right down to it. And I, I think he's good in this. Oh, he's great. Yeah. I think the movie in general is good. I really enjoyed watching it this time. I had seen it a few times before. I think he's really good in it. I think it moves. I think the soundtrack, it goes without saying almost, is phenomenal. I think Jack Black's really funny. And this is, I think it was the first, I mean, Jack Black had obviously been around and doing Tenacious D stuff here and there. But I think this was kind of the first movie where a lot of people really kind of clocked Jack Black and his whole deal. Yes, uh, I thought Tim Robbins was really funny. I who doesn't love to see Joan Cusack pop up in a film? Oh, I do love me some Joan Cusack. I, the scene, the scene where Tim Robbins' character comes to the record store to talk to him, and then there's those that like the the succession of of like dream sequences of them kicking the shit out of him, and then the, goes back to the reality of him just being like, "So, see you later," and then he just leaves, and they don't say anything. I I remember thinking that was fucking brilliant i also remember feeling as though a lot of people so if a lot of people thought of you as sort of the uh the the living embodiment of the of the rob character i remember a lot of people thinking thinking of me as sort of a a, an amalgamation somewhere between jack black's character and the other what's the other guy's name dick Uh, dick kind of somewhere in between those two things which (laughs) i was like at the time i was like I'll take that. I'm comfortable with that. You know, those two characters are are very cartoonish, but I feel like I, yes. somewhere in between those two poles, you find you find Mike. Yeah, that I I can I could be comfortable there. Yeah, I uh, I also was thinking about a lot about how those were the days where not everybody had a computer in their hand, so you could just know things. You had to just know things. And sometimes you were just fucking wrong, but but you knew them anyway, and you and you would argue with people because nobody knew. You'd have to, you just didn't know. It's interesting. There was a point in my life where I felt like I had some kind of doofus cachet of knowing a lot of things about a lot of things. Yes. And that has, like, it is meaningless now. It is like the worst superpower because anyone can look up anything at any time. Yeah. Yeah. And especially this movie came out, I think, right either like right right before or like basically when Napster hit. Yeah. Which was the first like kind of big sea change with music. So even like I think the way people consume and interact with music changed so drastically this century that it's been like I don't know how it plays now. I think the emotional stuff probably still does play, and I know there was a television remake very recently on Hulu starring uh, Zoe Kravitz, who was the daughter of Lisa Bonet, who's in this movie, which I thought was good, but I also think was not a very good adaptation, mostly because. Um, Zoe Kravitz, it's impossible to make her seem uncool. And yeah. <laughs> one of one of the real linchpins of the book in the movie is that Rob's not cool. And all and also like how much the lessons of this movie are tied up in the way I think particularly men can be toxic. Yes. And so when you gender flip it, 
it almost needs to be about something else. So it just becomes about a person who owns a record store who talks a lot about David Bowie. Um, <laughs> so I I thought it was, you know, I did not think it was, I thought everyone, it was good. Um, and it was certainly a breezy fun watch, but I also don't think it had as much to say as the original. Right. I felt like it, they needed, they needed to dig into other stuff. Um, and they hadn't quite done that yet. They were too busy kind of riffing on the the novel in the movie. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It is interesting. It really feels like <clears throat> certainly not the first time, but it was the first time I recognized that, you know, being a, a, a child of the 80s and growing up watching tons and tons of romantic comedies, you don't often get the sense that the ways in which the male characters can be toxic are something that the that anybody necessarily really wants to fix about them, including themselves. They're sort of these self-involved assholes. It's like it's like it's like every 80s movie where the there's a rich person and the whole plot of the movie is that they might lose their fortune and then they learn the lesson but get to keep the fortune anyway <laughs> you know and in, yeah. and in a lot of 80s movies it's like yes this guy you know you can he's being a prick uh but he gets the girl anyway or he's being you know uh, too needy or too you know he 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 lacks he entirely lacks self confidence but he gets everything he wants anyway and now that i'm saying that i realize that rob does get his girlfriend back at the end of the movie so maybe that's not the best example of things see here's the lesson he learns though i think um by the by the end of the movie he gets the girlfriend back and then there's the uh natasha gregson wagner character the um the woman who writes for the local alt weekly or whatever, who interviews him about the DJ stuff. And he starts kind of crushing on her and then realizing like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I just got Laura back and now I'm crushing on her and making her mixtapes. And he figures out. And I think this, this was probably the part of the book that really um, hit home to me. It's like, he liked the fantasy of it. He liked imagining how their relationship would play out because once you actually get into a relationship, it is not obviously nonstop hijinks. Yeah. It's work. Yes. And that's something that I think, especially like when I was a teenager, it's like, you know, you crush on a girl and you're like, well, this is how it's going to go and blah, blah, blah. And we'll, Right. You know, you're playing the montage in your head to Herman's Hermits. I'm into something good. <laughs> right. And, and even but and there's even a little bit you you can even let's face it, you know, there is a, a, a really powerful sort of heady, heady cologne to, you know, the person that I like doesn't like me. You know, there's a lot of you can really make a meal out of that walking around being all dejected and, you know, listening to to the cure because the girl or the or the person that you're interested in doesn't return the feeling. Self-pity can be a hell of a drug. Oh, it's it's a hell of a drug. And, I, you know, it's funny. I I remember being, you know, in my teens and 20s and, you know. I think one of the the traits that I certainly had in, in my young, I, maybe I've shifted past this. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody out there nodding knowingly at what I'm saying right now. But I think that for me, the way that I need to learn a lesson a lot of times is I need to bump right up against it and and like recognize like, you know, I certainly was the guy who was convinced that the girls only wanted the 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 cool asshole and found myself almost saying out loud 
well, it's the nice guy thing before I, you know, something like that is something you can comfort yourself with. But then if you think about it for even a second, you realize it's fucking dog shit. But I, I'm the kind of person that needs to almost say it out loud before I go, oh, no, maybe that's not what it is, actually. And so to have the Rob character be actually be able to to to, to learn the lesson and be like, no, I'm 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 right. Like you said, I'm, it's the fantasy. It's the it's the it's the potential. And I like I like stories in general that are about becoming a better version of yourself, but that also acknowledge that becoming a better version of yourself is not something that's going to happen with one great revelation. It's, it's a process. So I like how I I think the movie ends with him saying, I think I'm starting to figure it out. Um, And that's a great first step, which is why I really loved that show enlightened on HBO, which was about becoming like a better person and how hard that is. And um, what was, uh, I think this way up on, on Hulu uh, or even fleet, even Fleabag. Fleabag. I was just about to say Fleabag is when the when the series ends, she's at least figured out maybe how not to do yes. some, some things. Um, yeah. I, I think she realizes that she needs to stop treating her life like a performance for uh, for the audience. Yes. Um, I, that was really affecting to me. But I, I like that sort of narrative of like I, I'm becoming a better person, but it's work and not. Um, yeah. You know, I was visited by three spirits in the night, and yes. suddenly I kept Christmas in my heart for the end of my days. <laughs> yeah, that was you there, boy. Is it is it record store day? <laughs> <laughs> run to the to run to the record shop and get me the reissue of the Velvet Underground's Noted with the green smoke. <laughs> is it still there? Well, yes, it is, sir. <laughs> Big as my head. <laughs> oh man. Was there anything in the movie that you did not like? This time around watching it, no. I I almost would say, like, the, like I think the first time I watched the movie, it actually kind of made me uncomfortable because I wasn't I I wasn't really familiar with a story like that. You know, like I was I went into the movie thinking that my my take and my role would be to cheer on the main character and relate to to him and be like i i you know i the, i i at the time that's what i was looking for the guy that i could relate to or the person that i could relate to in the story and the idea that there, there was like things that weren't great about that character was something that i wasn't really super comfortable with in my 20s but now that i watch it now i think Maybe maybe the only thing that I don't that I don't like about the movie is Rob's choice of leather jacket. <laughs> don't buy it. I don't buy it. What are you doing with that weird puffy leather jacket that like it looks like Michael Imperioli would wear it in a in an episode of Sopranos? You know, I was like, what what is that weird? I don't like that leather jacket. So that maybe that's it. <laughs> the Cos- Cosby sweater. The co- the Cosby sweater. Yeah, I really like the scene where the guy, the guy in the record store, kind of dresses them down. He's like, "What the fuck is wrong with you guys?" <laughs> I like that a lot. That's good stuff. I don't know. Is there anything you don't like about it? Uh, no, not really. I, I think it. I think it does its job very well, like both as an adaptation and as a movie. I, I don't think this movie is for everyone, but it was certainly for me when it came out, and I still enjoy watching it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how uh, someone who is not sort of a kind of obsessive music fan 
connects to it. Like, I, I'd be curious to hear that. There, there, you're right, because there are certain behaviors that are very, they're so couched in, like when he's rearranging his record collection autobiographically. Yes. That's a very specific, there's a very specific type of person who's like, oh. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the one bit I didn't like. Um, there's a bit where uh, Rob and Dick and Barry are at the club watching Marie LaSalle, and they're talking about wanting t- to like have a song written about them. And that I thought was fine, but then they, they get they go too far with it, where it's like, I'd want to be on the album, but just in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it was. It, they went too far with it. It was too on the nose. I'm like, no one actually thinks that. Like right. that. That was the one bit where I, I it, they they rang the false bell. And but being someone who has been mentioned in the liner notes, I know that it is a nice little delightful surprise when you are. But I don't think I think it's a I kick. don't think. But you're right. <laughs> I don't think you wish for that. You you want to be cool enough that you don't have to wish for that. That you, that just happens. That's just something that happens to us now. <laughs> I thought that was not uh, not so great. Although I did like Lisa Bonet in the movie. Yeah, I thought she was great. And people skateboard. There was some skateboarding. I, you know, it's funny. I. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that the movie was set years before it actually was set. And so it, if the movie was set, so, all right, the, the, then if the movie was supposed to be set in the early 2000s, I think like late nineties, uh, at one point they're playing a song off the boy with the Irish strap by bell and Sebastian. And they say it's the new bell and Sebastian. And that album came out in 1998. So we'll say the movie came out in 1998. All right, let's let's call it. And then then I will say that in 1998, the preferred obstacle for a group of kids skateboarding would not be a, a like a launch ramp. And you know maybe that was a thing that may, remained uh, in place in Chicago. I'm not sure, but the fact that they had like a little ramp to launch them into the into the air, which is where the the kid almost lands on top of Rob and he gets all pissed off. I, I by the way, I did love that the old kind of like. Uh, curmudgeonly record store guy was not like you know in league or friends with the skate punks that was that skated outside of his store he was like an old guy was all pissed off and wanted him to leave but the the launch ramp was not believable to me but the fact that they were uh hanging out near the record store uh all day and all night long skating certainly <laughs> certainly resonated with me and skating and shoplifting skating and shoplifting yeah although yeah that was the thing i was i was i i have a hard time with that because i was never the bad kid i was always like the i'm gonna buy my copy of the source magazine and and read it on the bus all the way home i'm not gonna steal it i need to support the artists you gotta do it you gotta do it kevin um but you know i, I do think that's another part of when the skateboard kids you know have their band and he decides to put their record out to like put to put stuff and laura calls him calls it out as being like well now you're putting something out into the world you're part of I, it. I think i thought that was like very kind of interesting too i think i definitely um can be more of a professional appreciator or fan uh this wonderful podcast, notwithstanding in terms of putting stuff out into the world. But, um, but I do think like the stuff I put out is generally like me talking about like pieces of art that I love or like being in conversation with pieces of art that I love. Um, so I did like that aspect of Rob kind of like putting something out there. Um, like even, 
even like when I made uh, like the documentary, it was about a band that I liked. Right. And well, and it's funny that, that, that you're right, that, that that's something that she she makes an observation and it was something I had never really thought about. And it wasn't long after that I wound up in a band. And I remember, so it's, it's funny. I wound up in a band that, that played some very loud, silly rock and roll. I remember somebody like criticizing the band and me being like completely unprepared for that. And then realizing like, Oh yeah, I, that's exactly it. Like now I've, instead of leaning against the back of the wall of the club, having opinions about the band that was playing, I was on the stage and that therefore meant that I was subjected to people's insistence that we were just like a ripoff Ted Nugent and they were not wrong. You know, it's like, it's interesting to think about it in those terms. No, it it is like criticism is always uh, an interesting thing to deal with when you're doing something like that. When I did, uh, when I did the documentary, I remember one guy came up to me after a screening and started to lay out an entirely different film <laughs> that it, that he thought it should have been. And that criticism kind of rolled off my back because I'm like, well, that's not the movie I wanted to make. Like you make that movie. I made this movie. Um, but when someone else said to me like, Oh, I really liked it. Except this one section about the tour dragged a little bit. And I was, and I, and I knew immediately when, when he said it, that he was correct. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, you know, but so that one kind of hit, but it's also sort of like, well, it's out there. Let's, uh, you know, I'll do better next time. Sure. Um, so it like it's interesting to like where the criticism is coming from, and you know I had the I, I work in corporate, so like the cliche is feedback is a gift, <laughs> um, but you know it needs you know it needs to be with good intention. I think sometimes people will just want to like want to tear something down for tearing right. it down or right. for their own elements. Um, you know when I was uh, when my friend Aaron and I were DJing in Cambridge, um, there was a a group of cooler djs who did a lot of poo-pooing of what we were doing but it's like well this you know we're doing the thing we want to do i'm sorry we're not bringing out like the most ardent soul records right um and i remember like that was someone who i was kind of friendly with at the time like previously so i was like why you got to do that man but i'm also sort of like you know when i was on the radio i talked no end of shit yes. about any number of bands. So it's fair play. I right. Guess. Yeah. You you once you once you put yourself in that position, especially if you've been in the position before where you're the professional appreciator of things. On a weird note with this movie, I also there was also a very short-lived Broadway musical version of it. It ran for like maybe 17 performances on Broadway before it closed. And I actually wound up seeing it in Boston. I was working at a morning show at a TV station and there were free tickets to high fidelity, the musical in Boston. And I, you know, I was a fan of the movie and I was a fan of the book. So I was like, well, I'm curious. It's free. Let's go check it out. And it could not have been worse. <laughs> Speaking of criticizing things. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine trying to get any of those characters to embody a musical. Well, cause it, it, remember it had all, it had like a lot of moving sets for like the record store. And there's and you know especially High Fidelity is is a story that's very steeped in in music and music lore. And these original songs for this musical are in no way 
like lapping at the even lapping at the heels of like in Otis Redding or <laughs> right any of the music or Stevie Wonder or any of the music they're listening to. So it's like it's the last real record store on earth. Um I remember at one point there's like uh you know how he's like Bruce Springsteen shows up briefly in the movie like an imaginary an imaginary Bruce Springsteen shows up like the great gazoo just to kind of chat with him, <laughs> which is a little which is a little funny. Um in the musical, it's like someone in full born in the USA regalia <laughs> oh, comes out and does a number about what Rob and Bruce were saying. And it's it's but it's not a Bruce Springsteen song. It's just I think the song's called like number five with a bullet because he's talking <laughs> about how Laura gets into his top five breakups. Oh, God. Um, it was really, really really bad it wasn't boring i'm really glad i saw it for free yeah yeah all right that's the right <laughs> holy cow it was a ill-conceived on many levels and also like it, our broadway audience is clamoring for a high fidelity musical well if there's so if there's so many questions like the, is the is the subject matter it the subject matter seems so outside of the realm of a musical that why would you why would that be i could see it maybe being staged as a low-key play <laughs> <laughs> but the musical part of it's like the guys in the the record store would hate the musical that they would they would be in it's uh it's weird because i've never seen the the musical of the movie once which came up during our discussion of the commitments but everything i've heard is that it's really great because they use the music from once in it which, which is really great <laughs> so i i believe it that if i saw that it would probably be a, a fine time but um this they did not use any of the music from high fidelity they just right. wrote their own stuff and it was also like it was really flashy and it felt like like i don't know i am not necessarily averse to musicals i do think this trend of taking movies that were not necessarily blockbusters and turning them into musicals is at least interesting to me. I'm not sure that I like it. I haven't like, you know, bring it on as a musical and mean girls as a musical and Beetlejuice is a musical <laughs> and uh, newsies was a musical that did like super well. Any one of those that you just listed, I could, I can already piece together how it would be a musical. High Fidelity, <laughs> even though it is a movie about music, I cannot imagine. <laughs> yeah, I just it's the, the the themes, the characters, none of it, none of it rings, none of it says musical theater to me. No, it it was a real interesting experience <laughs> out. And I see <laughs> I see more theater, I think, than most people my age. Sure. So I believe me when I say that it was among among the very worst things I've seen. That's, and I know you've seen some terrible things, so that's got, that's got to count for I, something. I have seen a lot of the. Uh, I'm pretty good at like figuring out what I'm going to like, but like for before I had kids, what I would do is I would just subscribe and I'd go to like every show that a company put on, and usually like sure. some some would be great and some would be really bad. I remember there was also a musical I saw about uh about the Red Sox <laughs> called. <laughs> called johnny baseball <laughs> that i mean what i will give up for johnny baseball is that the cast was very talented but 
Who boy, Johnny Baseball. Johnny Baseball. So you're saying it wasn't a home run, Kevin? It, it was not. <laughs> and I bet they were hoping for those. I bet they were hoping for those headlines. Yeah. yeah the art yeah. section of the Boston Globe. Johnny Baseball is a hit. Yes. I think they were hoping for Johnny Baseball to go to Broadway, but it did not. Like High Fidelity actually went to Broadway. Um, and then it closed almost immediately because no one went to see it. But <laughs> oh, the gro- I can even see Gross Point Blank as a musical before. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Even even more so. Yeah. Oh, man. A One Crazy Summer musical? That would be <laughs> now, a fun night at the theater. I would, I would pay that. I would pay to see that. Oh, man. Pay to see you get that. the Demi Moore character, do an acoustic guitar number. The mm. Bobcat could do a song and dance. The Bobcat character could do a song and dance in the Godzilla outfit. It, in the Godzilla, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's practically writing itself, Kevin. They, there could be. I mean, I'll, let's face it. There could be an entire number about sailing. An entire number about hoops making the shot at the end. Yeah, man, hoops mechanic. Oh, I wish there was skateboarding in one crazy summer. Give it a shot. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. You should probably plug your appearance on Talk About the Passion. Oh, yeah. I uh, recently uh, had a very casual sort of loose conversation with my good friend Christian Christian Campania on his podcast, Talk About the Passion. Uh, We talk a lot about sort of revisiting the things that we loved as kids before the influence of cool guy stuff kind of can't it's a very loose conversation and frankly what it really keeps circling back to is social media and social media's sort of effect on the way that people behave but uh i had a really really good time talking to him and you should listen to all i don't know i think there's 90 episodes of uh talk about the passion and it's a great podcast so you should check that out co-sign that i listened to the michael episode today and uh i'm a person who spends uh more time than anyone editing Mike's voice on a timeline and I was still thoroughly entertained. So <laughs> uh, tune in. Like Chris, Christian does a really great podcast. Uh, it was nominated for a Boston music award. So you should, uh, we will put a link to that in the show notes and you should go check that out.